Good morning, everyone. I thought Bill was very gracious there and could have easily blamed Debbie. I I would have. Well, let's have a word of prayer together before we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, and um, we just uh, can't thank you enough, Lord, for leaving us a written guidebook, a written love letter, a written testimony of your interaction in this world, and we thank you that you are still moving powerfully in the world you created, you're moving in us, you're moving in this church, you're moving in this city, in this nation, that you're in charge of it all. How grateful we are, Lord, for your faithfulness. As we sang earlier, that you are a good, 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 good Father. We thank you so much, Lord. Pray that as we look into your word this morning, that wouldn't be about my delivery at all, Lord. It would just be your word that would touch and bless and heal and propel us forward. We thank you so much, Lord, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wanted for some time to bring a message um, on the family and family roles, um, for, mostly for our young families and um, give them some, some attention. Uh, you know the saying that home is where the heart is, but uh, home is also where the flesh is. And uh, so maybe the best thing to say is home is where the heart is on display. Um, so the topic is on being a Christian at home, and we will be looking at a, Col- a passage in Colossians that talks about um, fathers, children, wives, and husbands, but uh, we'll only get to the fathers today. So I'm calling it part one. I'm conceptualizing this as a four-part message, but um, doesn't mean it'll be four consecutive messages. But the title of this is taken from an article uh, by Melody Green, who is the wife of Keith Green, and I don't know if she's still active with Last Days Ministries, but that, she co-founded that ministry with her husband. And um, this article is entitled, Being a Christian at Home, and it starts out with uh, a mother writing to Melody about her teenage daughter. So let me, let me read it to you, just, just a few paragraphs. Dear Melody, You are a very real Christian source and authority for my 16-year-old daughter, and I am very grateful, but here it comes. I feel there are areas in which parents, this parent anyway, needs your support and help. You do well in many areas of teaching, and so does the local church, but in the area of practicing love in your own home, both the local church and teen ministries aren't doing so well. The ministry to teens usually includes teaching on sex, dating, soul winning, honesty, problem parents, alcohol, etc. 
One really doesn't see many tracts called Parents, Things We Throw Away, or books titled Do Yourself a Favor, Love Your Parents. It seems that our 16-year-old likes to be responsible for either of our two cars, but not for washing the dishes or cleaning the tub or setting the table. Sure, if we pay her to clean the house, she will vacuum, but not very well. She feels she must love our neighbor, but not her nine-year-old sister. We find she speaks respectfully to those in church, but not to us. And let me just insert here that when I led basic, I would often um, be so inspired by the teenagers, and I would, you know, I saw the beauty of the Lord in them, and I'd come home and tell their parents, and they were like, who are you talking about? That's not... That must be some alien clone of my my child. We find she speaks respectfully to those in church, but not to us. After all, Dad isn't even a Christian, and all Mom does is lecture. There seems to be an 11th commandment, thou shalt work hard in every place except at home. It's very difficult for me as a parent to get help at the local church when they see my daughter as perfect. And it's also very difficult to even get prayer support when the reply is, be thankful she's not on drugs or out running around. I am grateful she isn't doing those things, but it's hard to share the love of Jesus if we aren't proving it at home. And to be fair to you kids, um, she doesn't just hit you guys. She hits moms. She hits fathers in this article as well. So what about practicing the love of God in our homes. Does God speak to this issue? Well, in the uh, vernacular of Minnesotans, the answer is, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you betcha. It surely does. And so let's look at uh, Colossians 3, 18 through 21. Thanks, Bill. Colossians 3, 18 through 21. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Any husbands here bitter at their wife? Oh, no. (laughs) Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. First thing I want you to notice is that these verses are not promises to believe or examples to follow, but they are commands to be obeyed. And we don't like commands very much, do we? Especially when they're from God. They, they, they leave so little wiggle room. Um, you know, we have that reaction inside us sometimes, like, you're not the boss of me, and yet in this case, uh, he is the boss. And he can tell us what to do. So let's be brave and see what he expects in our homes and in our family roles. Identify some mindsets that might get in the way and determine to be obedient out of our love for him. Amen? Are you scared? Yes? (laughs) Okay. Well, none of us is perfect. And... Far from it. But today, let's look at some passages on fathers um, and uh, what it means to be a biblical father 
because there's a, a man named uh, Ken Confield who writes in his book, The Heart of a Father, this, this is what he says. A father has tremendous power. About this he has no choice, for good or for bad, by his presence or his absence, action or inaction, whether abusive or nurturing, the fact remains, a father is one of the most powerful beings on the face of the earth. We're going to look first at Luke chapter 1, verse 17, and um, I was surprised to, as I kind of went through the concordance and looking at scriptures that reference fathers to, to, to kind of land on this one. But this is where an angel is speaking to the father of John the Baptist before he is born. And the angel says to Zacharias, and it is he, John, who will go as a forerunner before him, that is Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now listen to this, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, to be fair with you, I want to let you know that commentators disagree about what this line means, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Um, I read several interpretations of it, but I just like the simple statement that it is, um, that in this first, what we might call the first and biggest revival the world has ever seen, where Jesus comes to usher in his kingdom, and the angel is prophesying to the father of John the Baptist, it seems like the first sign of this coming, the first purpose, we might say, is to turn the hearts of the fathers toward the children. Wow. Biblical fathers are fathers who have turned their hearts toward their children. Not away. Not away. A biblical father should be engaged with and interested in and enthusiastic about his children. You see, their genuine interest and engagement, I think, is the first sign of a biblical father. Don't you love it when you see little kids coming into a room where their parents are and their parents' faces light up and the child's face lights up because they're so, so excited to see each other and you just think, that, that child is going to thrive just because of that little display of love that you see over and over again. Don't you love to see Coach Bill kneel down and, and take a child on his knee and get real close to her or him and, and just look him in the eye and, and talk to him? That brings me happiness. Or don't you love to see a, a TV show where a soldier is hiding in the back of a classroom after a long deployment and the child is up front maybe giving a book report or something and the dad pops out and and the kid just runs and, and jumps on his dad and just cries buckets of tears. What we're seeing is the father heart of God for us. 
And it's reflected in the love of an earthly father for his child. There's a famous commentator, Jameson Fawcett and Brown, and they write, one of the first signs of religious and social decay is the erosion of fatherhood. And so responsibility number one is genuine interest and engagement. This is what a biblical father has as the first trait of his life. Well, certainly spiritual formation is uh, required in the Bible too, isn't it? And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Proverbs 4, um, 1 through 4 speaks of this as well. Let me just read it to you. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. When my children were growing up um, in this church, I sometimes had a vague feeling that I wasn't doing enough. Um, even though they were in a sol- solid church like this, a solid believe, you know, Bible-believing church, there were men and women surrounding them who loved them and mentored them. And uh, they went to youth group. I was their youth leader. Um, I didn't want to overwhelm them with, with uh, spiritual things, but I also had this gnawing sense that relying on church and a youth group and praying before meals was not enough, that I needed to be more proactive than that and um, more intentional. Well, often during those years, Laura, my wife, would say, Jim, you need to you need to disciple Nathaniel. He's he's uh, he needs it, and and uh, and yet I just felt kind of awkward in that relationship at that time. Well, in college, Nathaniel was going through a rough patch, and he got into trouble, and he called me from another state, and he said, "Dad, I need to come home, and I want you to disciple me." And uh, so he came home, and we spent about an hour, an hour and a half, a year and a half, um, memorizing scripture and reading Christian literature and reading the word together and praying together. And it was a beautiful, beautiful time. It knit us together in a way that, that we hadn't developed as fully to that point. Surely focused spiritual formation of our children is also a father's responsibility. Amen? All right. And then we come to a couple of verses. What happened there? Then we come to a couple of verses that basically say the same thing. Ephesians 6.4 and Colossians 3.22. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, 
but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. Well, the meaning of exasperate is frustrating them to the point of acting out or acting out in anger. Same with provoke. And frankly, I have seen fathers be too harsh. I've seen fathers be too difficult to please, too demanding, too withdrawn, too depressed, and in some cases, um, delighting in teasing their daughters to the point of tears. And I would suggest, you know, the, the dad is thinking it's funny or cute, but actually it's destructive, I think, to the child. Uh, provoking them to anger, infuriating them, and I think it affects their heart and their view of their father and their view of themselves. Let me go a little, a little deeper with this uh, and give a word to fathers about daughters. Daughters desperately need a father's approval. They deeply crave the felt knowledge that you are pleased with them. And when this is withheld from a girl, a daughter, in their heart is a, an indescribable hurt and pain. So I want to ask the fathers in the room to, to be aware of this reality. Be sure you're aware of this and tell your daughter of your great love for her. Take her out on a father-daughter date. Do what you have to do. Um, when my oldest daughter, Abby, was 9 or 10, um, we, she wanted a horse and so we had some land out in Catoosa, and so we ran fence together. We bought some old telephone poles from, excuse me, no, they were, we, we, we just got them. They were throwaway or used telephone poles at PSO. Uh, Mike Spurlock uh, said, you can go get those, and so we took a chainsaw out there and cut posts, and we were running fence line, and we electrified it, and she watched me shocked myself several times. Um, anyway, we really bonded uh, building that horse fence and, and a barn. And, um, but one day she said, Dad, let's go for a walk. And I knew exactly what she was t- wanting to talk about. Laura had been quite difficult to live with uh, at that time, uh, or so I thought. And I thought, she's going to talk to me about, you know, how unreasonable mom is doing. Well, um, to my surprise, she took me to the woodshed. And she said that I was being mean. And I was being angry. And um, I remember uh, being so proud of her that she would take me on at that age. And she was like a dog on a bone. I mean, she was, she was going to make her point, and, and she did. The point I want to make here is that as dads, we've got to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to become too angry or too depressed or too withdrawn to not really be there for our kids. Our kids need us to be there for them and to be emotionally healthy ourselves. And so, 
I have here that one of the biblical responsibilities is to sensitivity to our child's emotional well-being. I love that because it's not explicitly stated in Scripture. And yet in these verses about not exasperating or provoking, it's embedded there, isn't it? That there's some responsibility on the father's part to pay attention to his children's emotions. The fourth one is um, strong character development. Obviously, the father is responsible for strong character development. By this, I mean traits like honesty and loyalty and a hard work ethic, perseverance, kindness, generosity, gratefulness, respect for adults, and so on. So let's look at these two verses. Train up a child in the way that they should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And Hebrews 12, 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I want to show a little video clip now. It's about five minutes long. And it's by a man named Ryan T. Anderson with the Heritage Foundation. And um, he's talking about, from a sociological perspective, the importance of fathers and how they train uh, and mold children in the home. So here we go. Let's do this with a thought experiment. If I told you it's Saturday morning, and instead of being at an academic conference at Stanford... A five-year-old boy is at home in the living room wrestling with one of his parents. And this parent is teaching the five-year-old to be masculine without being violent. That it's okay to put people in headlocks, but not to pull hair or bite or to gouge out eyes. Which parent is most likely, on average and for the most part, in the living room? The laughter suggests that you know where I'm going with this. Well, on average and for the most part, that's going to be the father. And it's not because we have a gender stereotype in which only fathers can wrestle on living room floors. It's because this is what comes naturally to dads. It's something that on average and for the most part, fathers enjoy doing with their five-year-old sons in a way that mothers don't. And it's not to say that mothers can't wrestle on living room floors, but it's that on average and for the most part, they'd rather not. Um, In the same way that you could see that it's normally the father that's throwing the baby up in the air while the mother is saying, honey, not so high. (laughs) And I think this gets at exactly what Professor Budashevsky said. Mothers tend to be the more nurturing, the more protecting, um, the more the the caregiving relationship in the marital relationship. The mother tends to be that more nurturing one. And it's not to say that fathers can't be nurturing, but men tend not to be very sensitive. On average, and for the most part, that's the way these things break down. So then... If that's the kind of thought experiment about Saturday morning in the living room floor, we can step back and just analyze the social science. What we know from the social science is that Saturday morning wrestling session, and then five years later, playing catch in the backyard, and then five years after that, discussing how to go to your first high school dance, that that matters. And the father is doing something for his son. Because boys who grow up without their fathers much more likely to commit crime and to end up in jail. What's taking place with the father wrestling in the living room floor with his son is exactly channeling of those masculine aggressions that sometimes can take a destructive turn. 
if you don't learn how to be physical without biting and pulling hair and eye gouging when you're five, when you're 15, those same temptations might take you in a direction that ends up being criminal. And that's one of the things that fathers distinctively do for their boys. Now, fathers do something distinctive and complementary for their daughters. It tends to be the father who scares away the bad boyfriend. And this isn't because mothers can't scare away bad boyfriends, but it's because the father tends to be a little bit larger than the mother. His voice tends to be a little bit deeper than the mother's. And he also was once a boy himself, and he knows what the wrong sort of young man might be looking for in his daughter. And so he tends to be a little more sensitive about not letting his daughter go out with the wrong sort of boy. And like Professor Budaszewski mentioned, the father who's married to his daughter's mother is also modeling what a good male-female relationship looks like. And so he's modeling for his daughter what she should be looking for in the right sort of boyfriend who could become the right sort of husband. That's one of the things that a father who is married to his daughter's mother does for his daughter. So then when we take a step back and we look at the social science, girls who grow up without their fathers are more likely to suffer or to experience an out-of-wedlock pregnancy. Because that father is the one who's more often than not policing her sexual relationships. So right, you could say that's fine and good. You've given us um, these thought experiments and you've told us a little bit about the consequences. Do you have any hard data? Let me read you a quote and then I'll ask you to tell me who spoke this quote. Quote, we know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and to commit crime nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They are more likely to have behavioral problems or run away from home or become teenage parents themselves. And the foundations of our community are weaker because of it. End quote. Who spoke that? President Obama. Piers Morgan was a good second guess. President Obama. Now, President Obama will be the first to tell you that growing up without a father doesn't mean that you're somehow destined and doomed for failure in life. He seems to be doing pretty well for himself. But he would also be the first to tell you that his road was tougher. He had a steeper hill to climb. And this is one of the reasons why he's spoken out on the importance of fathers, because he's seen what it has done to so many children who grow up without their dad. It's why he has spoken about being how important it is for him to be a good father to his two daughters. He's experienced firsthand the importance of fathers, and it inspires him to be a good father. Now I want to take this to a whole different level, not just talking to the young fathers with with children at home, but to all the men here. Um, My last point is that a father who walks with God a father in the faith, if you will, is a rare and precious treasure. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16. Paul said, I don't write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as beloved children. Though you could have countless tutors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me. A father in the faith, it seems to me, is a man who truly loves us and moves us significantly forward 
in our faith and in the kingdom of God. How many of you would say you had a spiritual father or you have a spiritual father in your life that immediately comes to mind? How many of you? Raise your hands high so we can see. Okay, it looks like about half or so, maybe a little more. You know, not all of us had good earthly fathers. Not all of us had godly fathers. But uh, the good news is all of us can find a father in the faith in this fellowship right here. I forgot to mention a Billy Graham quote, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. Every man in this body can aspire to be a true father in the faith, right? Amen? You see, not every father in the faith has, has born biological children himself, but some have birthed many, many spiritual children. Our single men may never have been married, yet they too can be fathers in the faith to a boy or a girl, just as the Apostle Paul was. Even our young men can be on the path to becoming spiritual fathers, just as the Scriptures say, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. I think of fathers of the faith like Millard Parrish or Carl Eason, Warren Norcom, Bob McWilliams, Herb Jordan, and Dallas Henry. I think of men like Jim Garrett, Bruce Clutter, Joel Vasanen, Dave Troutman, Gordon Wright, and Bill Sullivan. I think of our missionary men like Randy Harrison, Dave Fox, John Niles, John Hines, Andrew McIndorfer, Brian Degnan, Dan Covington. I think of many other fathers in the faith in this body and men on their way. Just, just listen for a moment to the great list of men that God has given us. Men like Al Guaneri and Mike Bros, Jerry Dunn, Steve Staub, Kwong Do, Mark Radzinski, Paul Brigard, Steve Sperber, Tom Buck, and Jim Downing. Men like Hallett Hullinger, Al Baker, Dave Mason, Art Turner, Joe Beck, Raymond Peach, like Dallas Bros, David Horner, Ron Wright, Eddie Wright, and Carlos Diaz. Present or future fathers in the faith like John Failer, Greg Garrett, Tom Lotz, David Ford, Jerry Lotz. Like Mark Garrett, Jason Feathers, Jim Garrett Jr., Larry Gregory, and Ed Harkins. Men like Larry Gregory, Jason Lawrence, Bud Green, James Manchester, Tom McIndorfer, men like Andy Obrachta, Jim Price, Chuck Shepard, Nathan Shepard, and Dory Shupak. Men like Nicholas Woodard, Caleb Clutter, Ray Thorne, Micah Morris, Spencer Travers, Stephen Platt. Not to mention the great fathers in the faith who have 
gone on before us like Bill Sanders, Chuck Farah, Willard Hudson, Mike Farrell, Una Vesanen, and others. If I forgot anyone, please forgive me. But maybe, men, you don't see yourself as a spiritual father. But I'm proud to be surrounded by the great men in this body. Many fathers in the faith to some young girl or some young boy. We could tell stories about all of these men, couldn't we? How they have bravely faced adversity, lost loved ones before their time, done exploits for the Lord, impacted nations, sustained the weary, taught the word, battled Satan, shown hospitality to the stranger, served in the military, overcome debilitating sin, sought out the lost and the least, sat with the suffering, challenged the demonic powers of this world. Various ones of you are coming to mind as I read this list. Shepherding the church of Jesus Christ and welcoming the little children. And these men, they are not nearly done. We're not done, are we guys? There are still battles to be won, and there are children and women and wives and families to whom we may yet be able to prove that we are fathers in the faith who reflect the glory of God and manifest the Father heart of God and advance the kingdom of God in the earth. I want to inspire us guys, all of us men, to aspire to be fathers in the faith. May we accept this great opportunity. May we truly be biblical fathers. May we take on the mantle of being fathers in the faith. And may we especially reflect the Father heart of God first and foremost in our homes. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the great cloud of men that we get to walk with here at TCF. Thank you for this great treasure, Lord. And right now we want to lift up the younger men who have children. Father, we ask for a great anointing upon them, Lord, that their families would be established according to your order that there would be truth in the home, that these roles could be taken on, these jobs, with great enthusiasm and great clarity. I think of many families where that's already occurring and has occurred for many years. But we bless the young men in this body, the young fathers. Lord, we thank you for the older men, the true fathers in the faith, that inspire us moment by moment, day by day, week by week, year by year. I think of uh, some men in this body who are saved because an older man in this body went and knocked on their door and reached out to them when they were lost. Father, thank you for 
the fathers in the faith who are on the mission field and uh, impacting nations, Lord. And we pray that here at home we would preach the word with power. Lord, that we would be stellar men of God. Uh, We just thank you. We pray for men who've had maybe a rough patch with one of their kids. We pray that that could be healed, Lord. And uh, every child here at TCF would have the joy of knowing that they have a dad who loves them and a heavenly father who loves them and many fathers in the faith who are standing with them. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask your Holy Spirit to apply this however you see fit, and we give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name, amen.